Welcome to the Kaiser Human Performance Podcast. The goal of this podcast is to educate and inspire you to make the most of your journey in health and performance. Each episode will provide an in-depth discussion on a specific topic related to human performance. If you're a growth-minded individual seeking knowledge and better solutions, this podcast is for you. We're glad you're listening in and we're excited to learn alongside you. My name is Gabe Derman, and on this episode, I'm joined by the incredible Coach Sandy Abney. Sandy currently serves as the Chief Science Officer for the CSCCA. Her professional background includes over 18 years as a strength conditioning coach at the University of Texas. It also includes serving as Deputy Director of High Performance for Team China Olympic Committee and time spent both as an exercise physiologist and professor. Sandy has had an accomplished career throughout sport and weightlifting. She's a former track and field athlete turned powerlifter who trained to become a master Olympic weightlifting national champion and competing for a spot on the 2004 USA weightlifting Olympic team. On today's episode, Sandy reflects on her journey and shares some of her favorite stories, including time with Ursula Garza and Angel Spatsoff. You can follow Sandy on Twitter at Sandy Abney CSO and on Instagram at coach underscore Abney. Enjoy the conversation. Welcome, Coach Abney. It's great to be here with you today. Thank you. I, uh, yeah, I know you just got back from Australia from the ASCA conference. So how was that experience down under? Oh, it was wonderful. It's absolutely wonderful. Uh, they put on a fantastic conference. You know, some of the most brilliant minds in the industry were there. Uh, so getting to, to rub elbows with those folks is always fun. Um, Australia is beautiful and their hospitality uh, made me feel very, very welcome. So I had, I had a great time. I look forward to, to going back. Yeah. And I saw you had a presentation on carving your own career ladder. For those of us that couldn't be there for it, what was the main takeaway from that presentation? Yeah. When I had um, spoken with Julian Jones, he had asked me to speak about, you know, the challenges um, that I had while working in the collegiate system and then working in the international system and then now working more on the business side of sport, you know? And so I thought about it, thought, well, I don't want to stand there for an hour and talk about all the challenges, right? So I basically looked, came at the approach of, you know, looking at our profession and how there is really a lack of a career ladder, you know, and it, it's really up to each individual to carve their own career path. And so I decided to take the approach of taking those challenges and how I viewed those challenges and turn them into opportunities. And it was really a change of mindset for me was the big motivator and, and changing my perspective and how I saw things. And once I, I got to that point, which it took years to get there, but once I got to that point, um, I started saying yes to things that were coming my way. And that really started to open doors for me. So turning those challenges into opportunities, not being fearful, saying yes, just going for it, going big. And um, yeah, so that, that's really how, you know, I, I kind of talked about my career path and some 
you know, messages along the way for the audience. So it was fun. Yeah, it's great to hear you talk about career path and things because I just flash back to you know, visiting University of Texas and and meeting you in, in B2 and some of the people down there with the Texas staff and thinking about my own career path. And then obviously sitting with you here today, it's pretty funny to see things come a little bit full circle. And I know there's probably more of that circle that, that's still there. So it's just, it's fun to be a part of that and, and talk with you today. And it's really a great segue into our conversation because you've had a really amazing and decorated career in sport and human performance. And I'm excited to listen to you talk about that journey today. So let's start at the beginning of your athletic career. You were a track and field athlete. Is that right? Oh, yeah. We're going way back. Okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. So you're a track and field athlete. What was your experience with weightlifting around that time? Was it common, uh, especially in regards to female athletes, to be performing resistance training? You know, I, there's a quick funny story because if we're going way back to track and field, you know, I was a track and field athlete even back in high school. And that was so long ago that the only weight room in our high school was in the boys' football locker room. So to get to the weight room, you had to run through or slash sneak through <laughs> the boys' locker room just to get to the weight room. So I, I have some pretty funny stories of running through the, the, the boys' locker room to try to get back to the weight room just to get a lift in, right? Um, wow. So yeah, that was um, interesting, fun times. And to think how far we've come now, you know, it's, there's been quite the, uh, the evolution of that. But yeah, even in college, um, running track at Texas State, and, you know, I continued my powerlifting career because I was a multi-sport athlete in high school and I started mm -hmm. powerlifting. I was the first female to uh, participate on the powerlifting team back at Alvin High School in Alvin, Texas. Um, so continuing those two, you know, lines into the college setting, it was rare, you know. I mean, you were obviously lifting as a track and field athlete, but competing, you know, in powerlifting. And at that time, I did not quite know about weightlifting. Um, but it was still, you know, there weren't many women competing um, at that time. So, you know, it's interesting because had I known that powerlifting was actually kind of counterproductive to my track and field career, you know, I would have switched even earlier and gotten into Olympic lifting, but I really didn't even learn about Olympic lifting um, until, well, in college, we did some Olympic lifting, but then to actually learn about competing in it, I didn't really find out about that until I met Angel Spazoff while I was still in college. Yeah, absolutely. And we're going to talk a little about Angel in a little bit. Uh, I want to go back to this kind of first time of you lifting, let's say in, in high school, running through the locker room in order to get a lift in. Can you remember, take us through kind of what that was like? And was that something where you knew, like when you first started lifting and you first started with resistance training, like, were you hooked right away? Was it something you felt or you just kind of knew like you had some attachment to? Yes. Yes, it was. I mean, I can still even remember, you know, I grew up in my my neighbors, my childhood neighbors growing up. It was, it was one female and then four boys. And so I, you know, I grew up with, you know, a lot of boys around and they were all my age. And so they had gotten into lifting. And I can remember even as early as 13 years old being kicked out of a a commercial gym because we were too young to be in there, you know, I mean, so it was, it was something early on that, 
hooked me. Um, and I think because it came naturally to me and I succeeded, I had a lot of success um, with it, especially at an early age. It was just something I naturally gravitated to and wanted to continue to explore and train in and really push the limits of what I could physically do. Yeah. And did you see the benefits pretty early on with your track and field uh, performance? You know, I think in high school I did because you're just so young and so untapped. And I, you know, I was extremely strong. I mean, in, in high school, I set a national high school bench press record of 205 pounds and I only weighed 135 pounds. So there were, you know, not many young females walking around the U.S. that could, you know, move that kind of weight. Um, so it definitely helped. But then as I, you know, got into college and I was more seasoned, my training age was older, right? You know, then the adaptations weren't transferring as much. I was, I was getting stronger, but not necessarily more explosive, right? And I needed that because I was a I was a thrower and, and a heptathlete and I needed that explosive training. So when did you start becoming curious, like on the physiology side of the things and, and academic side? In college, in college, as I, as I made the transition into Olympic weightlifting, that's when I really started to see a difference in how it positively impacted my track and field career. Um, definitely, you know, obviously running faster, throwing further, jumping higher. Um, <clears throat> And that's when I started to really understand the impact that the physical training could have, you know, from a physiological perspective on the body. How did you then get from a powerlifting and athletic background into weightlifting? So I was at, um, at Texas State, and I'll never forget this. I was um, training with another uh, young college student by the name of Eric Spenson. He was there and we were we were trying to figure it out. We were trying, you know, figure out how to power clean and power snatch. And uh, we were in, it was, it was a lift session. I guess it was like open gym session. And Ursula Garza was uh, taking, Ursula Garza Papandrea was taking classes um, down at Texas State. And she had met the strength coach there at Texas State, Larry Leverman. And so she had worked it out to where she could come in and train while she was, you know, down there taking classes. And so she happened to walk into the weight room uh, one day when Eric and I were in there and, you know, we, we meet her, we don't know who she is. We start talking and then she starts lifting and it just blew our minds. And so I remember looking at Eric and I'm like, is that what the, is that what the power thing's supposed to look like? Because that is not what it looks like when we do it, you know? And so we, we hit it off and uh, she was so kind and so gracious we became great friends from that day forward. She invited us up to Austin to uh, their training group that trained at Austin Community College. This is way back in the day before any gyms had platforms. The only platforms you could find in town were in competitive weightlifters garages um, and ACC. ACC was the only school other than like Texas State that we knew that had platforms. Um, so that is how I really got in, you know, started to get into it. Um, had it not been for her being so kind and, and making that offer and Eric and I taking her up on it, uh, I probably would have, you know, just stuck with powerlifting, but yeah, fun story. What an incredible introduction to weightlifting. I mean, you're at Texas state and, and in San Marcos, you find you have Ursula Garza walk through the doors and like at before that time, had you had any idea who she was? No, 
had no idea. Nope. Wow. And I remember my strength coach saying, oh, yeah, um, this young lady, Ursula, is going to come in and, and get a lift in. So you guys, you know, just be sure to introduce yourselves. And I was like, oh, yeah. Nope. I had no idea. No idea who she was. Wow, that's incredible. Uh, <laughs> and I'm sure that only made you more excited about your studies in uh, undergrad. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, she helped introduce me immediately into, you know, basically like an established community of weightlifters. You know, and so every weekend, Eric and I would make the trek up to North Austin, you know, to lift with all these people. And then she would give us training plans to, to do during the week. And uh, then as it evolved that, you know, it just became more and more that we were making more trips to Austin and yeah, eventually getting on to, to Coffee's weightlifting team and getting sponsored by John Coffey. And um, that's what really helped you know, launched my career because as a, as an early young strength and conditioning coach, you know, I did not have the finances to, to mm -hmm. enter weightlifting meets and travel all over the country for that kind of stuff. And so he was a, um, a big part of, of me being able to continue um, a career in weightlifting between Ursula and her former husband, uh, Oleg Ketchko uh, and John Coffey. Those three were really instrumental and, and enabling me to, to be able to have a weightlifting career. So your career in weightlifting though, was happening at the same time that you're going through your studies and then you graduate, and then you start working as a strength conditioning coach. So both of those things are happening simultaneously, correct? I really got into competitive Olympic lifting, um, right after I graduated. Yeah. So I was training with them you know, going to school. But once um, I started working full time as a collegiate strength and conditioning coach, that is also when my weightlifting career got serious. And, and I almost kind of considered myself a, you know, full time athlete first, because I was trying to make the Olympic team, you know, and oh, I've got this job that pays the bills as a strength coach. I mean, I viewed myself like that for quite some time. Yeah. And before you started, I think just before you started as a strength conditioning coach, though, you spent some time at St. David's in Austin. Is that right? I did. Yes. Yes. What was that experience like? Well, that was really great because, you know, I got to see the full continuum of care, you know, so I worked in um, as an exercise physiologist. So I worked in, you know, inpatient, outpatient, cardiac rehabilitation. And, you know, I got to see people that were immediate post-op open heart surgery, you know, just trying to get up and get moving and exercising. Um, I had even a short stint while I was working at St. David's. I was also working as a physical therapy uh, tech in New Braunfels. And so I got to see, you know, people coming back from injuries or other surgeries. And then I was also, you know, as kind of a part-time strength coach at Texas State, right, working with athletes. So I got to see everything, you know, and I will never forget, I really credit my time in like basically like the medical side of fitness, if you will, with um, recognizing the signs of high blood pressure in an 18-year-old student athlete I had. And I would have never, had I not had that experience in the medical side of fitness, I never would have suspected someone that young to have high blood pressure issues, but she was showing, I mean, she was checking every single box for it. And I remember talking to sports medicine and even they were like, ah, I mean, she's 18, you know, that's, that's crazy. But as we dug more, you know, we learned she had a, you know, 
long history, family history of it. And so sure enough, I had sports meds start monitoring her and she ended up getting on blood pressure medication. I mean, that is the youngest I have ever seen, you know, but it was just, that's just a perfect example of the culmination of all of that experience uh, during that time and how I was able to bring that to the athletic performance side. You know, I, I definitely had a good amount of experience in the rehabilitation setting, which I felt like made me an even better strength and conditioning coach and help, especially helping people return to play. Absolutely. And just an appreciation for all the different types of populations and, and different things that go into training. That's really cool. And it's cool to hear you tell a little story about how that helped you right away. That's amazing. An 18 year old with that, that's probably the last thing someone would think about. So absolutely. Yeah. So now after St. David's it's October of 99 coach Abney is getting ready for her first day as a strength conditioning coach at the university of Texas. Tell me what you remember about that first day and some of those early experiences at the university of Texas. Well, one of the first things I remember is, um, I was in there first day I was on the weight room floor and you know, the entrance to the weight room is kind of at the top, you know, so you kind of walk in, you enter the weight room and you can look down on the weight room floor. And Dr. Sanders, full-time professor, he since has now retired. Um, but he many, many, many years ago was a track and field coach at the University of Texas at the same time that I was a track and field camper at the University of Texas. And because of his affiliation with track and field through the years, and then obviously me remaining in track and field through my collegiate years, um, he had kept up with me. And so it was probably mid-morning and the door opens up and Dr. Sanders is standing at the top floor and he's like, you can tell he's just kind of, you know, going around panning the room and he sees me and points out and yells, Coach Abney. And it was just the greatest thing because, you know, this is someone that has watched me develop and grow. You know, I, when I met him, I think I was in sixth or seventh grade, you know, and to see everything come just full circle and now be, you know, at the University of Texas, you know, in a coaching capacity, um, that to me was a pretty special moment, you know, so he gave me a big hug and welcomed me to Texas. And I thought that was pretty cool. And do you remember coaching your first group? Oh gosh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what what group did softball. you have? Yeah, I had I had uh, softball, and you know, luckily I had already been coaching softball at Texas State, so I was very familiar with it. And you know, so it wasn't like my first; it was my first full time coaching gig, but not my first time, you know, coaching uh, athletes. I knew right off the bat that I was dealing with a far more talented. Uh, and decorated, you know, level of athlete than I was um, at Texas State. And so that I believe was, you know, intimidating. Uh, but ironically, you know, I was coming in bringing a heavy Olympic weightlifting background, you know, so with a track and field background and an Olympic weightlifting background, you know, my training philosophy, I was very focused on training for power, you know, so a lot of speed development, a lot of power development. Um, and they had not trained like that before. So, you know, I spent some time earning their trust and earning, you know, their buy-in to what I was 
trying to get them to do, right, or basically sell them on. And uh, I think the level of training that I brought to them was much more intense than, or the way that I ran a training program from the speed of it, you know, uh, was much more intense than what they were used to. So although I was dealing with a, a much more talented athlete, um, their work ethic was, was less than what I was used to working, you know, at Texas State. So it, it took us some time, took us a couple months, couple of, couple of team meetings, you know, it was not all rosy hunky-dory. Yeah. Um, but after, after they finally bought in, after I, you know, the team captains, I had meetings with the team captains and finally, after they just, I was like, look, just try this, you know, let's just try this and let's see. And that's all it took, you know, because they immediately started to see the impact on the field. You know, they were throwing harder. They were throwing further. They were running faster down the baseline. Uh, they were making plays that, you know, prior to may not have necessarily been able to make. So the coaches recognized it, the athletes recognized it, you know, the impact. And um, from then on out, my career training at the University of Texas with softball, I mean, it was the sky's the limit. You know, I had full trust and uh, I could do whatever I wanted with them. And that was the greatest thing. You know, any, any strength coach, you know that when you get full access, green light, all systems go to do what you want. That's, that's optimal, right? And obviously, you know, you work with your coaching staff, your sports staff to plan and develop out, you know, what you're doing. Um, but I think most strength coaches know, you know, a lot of times that isn't always the case, right? And you, you're kind of, I always say you're put in a box at times and you have to do the best you can in that box, whether it's limited training time with them, um, limited, you know, access to equipment or if it's varying philosophies that kind of butt heads and you kind of, you know, you just have to work through all of that. But I was very fortunate after those first couple of months, I won everybody over and, um, had a great time trained softball for years. That was the longest tenure sport I had during my time at Texas. Well, it sounds like they not only recognize the physical development side, but then to have somebody who is also willing to meet with them, listen, gain feedback. I mean, that's a huge part of the coaching. Absolutely. And outside of the X's and O's, that is coaching. That's the art of the coaching. Uh, so to combine that with the training, you know, it sounds like you had, you know, no surprise, you had some really great times and some really great years with them. Absolutely. So when you were starting at the University of Texas and you're with those groups, where was the weight room at that point? So we were still in the south end zone. So it was just one weight room, which was football. And well, it was considered the football weight room, but everybody used it. Um, now I don't even know how many, I don't know where they have six or seven weight rooms at this point, but back then it was, that was the main weight room. Um, oh yeah. And I do forget about the, the DL8 weight room that was underneath the basement. How could I forget that? that was I wasn't going to let you forget that. That's, that's the best. <laughs> um, yeah. So initially okay. I was in Moncrief Newhouse, uh, weight room. That was the primary weight room, but then, you know, there were, so many teams that were wanting to train at competing times. And back then football, you know, would not allow teams in when they were training. And so we were able to 
move over um, to the DL8 weight rooms. And I, and I knew that's a bit of an interesting story because I knew that it would be far more beneficial for the athletes, for us to get out of, you know, a big football weight room with multiple teams in there, just a lot of distraction and to get us into our own training space. But I had to sell it to the coaches and the athletes. Like we're not getting kicked out of the main weight room. I mean, we could have stayed, you know, but it was to our benefit to move over and have our own space and take ownership of our own space. So I was able to successfully sell that. And one by one, I got all the teams that I trained moved over to DL8. And I think you could probably ask any athlete when we did that, the, the level of intensity turned up, you know, because now you had women in their own weight room playing their own music and not, you know, not fearful to grunt or, you know, make a noise or get excited about something, not fearful of what, you know, somebody on the football team was going to think or say about them. And I really saw my teams personally blossom once we got into our own space. Yeah. How about the evolution from you as an athlete going through the men's locker room <laughs> to have to go lift and then having to share a space. And then now finally you have your own space. So not even just your athletes, but it feels like for you, even like as a coach, like this is your space now. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's really cool. Okay. So while you're doing that, while you're coaching, and as you mentioned, coaching for you was a means to make some money at the time, although you really enjoyed it as a means to make some money so that you could focus on your weightlifting career. Mm -hmm. So what was like a normal day like for you? When were you waking up? When were you training? Like what's a normal day in the fall for you with groups and while training as an athlete? Yeah, I was usually up by five um, in the weight room by six, first teams in at 6.30. And then last team would usually end the day around five, 5.30. And then I would go to train from six to seven. So on my feet all day, it was not optimal. I was wore out, um, but I was driven. So I did it anyway, you know, home by 7.30, dinner and in bed by nine and up and do it all over again. It was tough. Wow. It was really tough. Yeah. So you had mentioned Angel Spatsoff before. What was your first experience with Angel? And what was it like being around him? Well, we shared an office for close to 20 years. So I think, you know, reflecting back, I am most thankful for his wisdom. You know, there were, I mean, I was, especially early on, you know, I was such a young coach and I had so much to learn. And I had like this giant, you know, walking encyclopedia of anything you want to know about strength training, literally sitting right across from me, you know? And so I was able to bounce so many ideas off of him. I'm thinking about doing this or what are your thoughts on, you know, X, Y, Z, whatever the topic was. And I was so grateful that he would always take the time to sit there and, you know, kind of counter banter back and forth about, well, you know, here was my experience with it, but why, why do you want to do that? You know, he was always big on the why and forcing me to explain why I wanted to do what I wanted to do and what kind of results was I trying to get from that, you know? 
And to be able to do that with someone of his level of experience and knowledge, you know, I did not take that for granted one second. You know, I realized that I was privy to something really special and I tapped into it every second I could. And we also had lots of fun too. Lots of good, you know, just joking around. We had a, a great, great relationship. Yeah. And for our listeners that don't, may not know who Angel Spazoff is, he's recognized as one of the top international weightlifting coaches. He's published books, articles, lectures, coached dozens of Olympic medal winning athletes, had a tremendous career as a weightlifter himself, and really just remembered as a truly amazing person and, and a great friend to a lot of people. Uh, and Austin, you got to spend some time around. So was Angel helping you with your weightlifting career? Yes. He early on, um, Early on, he helped do some training, like planning for me. And I, and this was actually before I even got on at Texas. And I'm trying to think of the timeline because it's been so long ago. If I, I met him, yeah, I met him first before I met Ursula. And I met him through a mutual friend that Angel and I had, um, Freddie Joe, who just recently passed away. And Freddie Joe was another coach, sport coach. And, uh, so I met Angel when I was still powerlifting, and Angel introduced me to the Olympic lifting, started showing me that, gosh, this has been so long. I haven't talked about this stuff in a really long time, um, but I actually would go up to University of Texas um, like on Sundays, and he'd, he'd have a team finish up on a Sunday afternoon, and we'd sit and, and work for a couple hours, uh, and I remember Jan and Terry Todd would come in and trained during that time. And I knew the Todd's from my powerlifting career. And so, you know, it is kind of a small world. And so that was pretty cool to be up there, you know, trying to learn the Olympic lifts and um, kind of training and hanging out with Jan and Terry Todd and Angel. I mean, that's a pretty, that's, that's a pretty unique group to, to be privy to, <laughs> to hang it's out. Incredible. With. I mean, I would love to be a fly on that wall. That's just unbelievable. <laughs> What a crew. (laughs) Yeah. And I can't remember how long I trained with Angel. And then that's when I eventually ran into and met Ursula down at Texas State. And it just, it happened that my schedule, it worked out timing wise scheduling to, to start training with Ursula. It worked out better, you know, for me than to stay with Angel. But, you know, then I found out that Ursula and Angel knew each other because Er the Angel trained Ursula. You know, so it really, it really was a small circle of weightlifting community, you know, back then. So you were being coached by Ursula for your career? The majority, yeah, the bulk of my career was with Ursula. Yes. Okay. Any uh, funny stories or crazy training stories or anything that was like untraditional about some of the training that you did that you can recall? Well, we've got lots of funny stories. (laughs) Um, something untraditional. Yeah. One thing would be making weight. We would, uh, we called it boiling and, you know, I unfortunately always was struggling to make weight, you know, I mean, (laughs) you always want to go in, you know, pretty close on Mark anyway. Right. And so I would usually have about a kilo to lose. And, uh, sometimes if I was good, a little less, but nonetheless, I always had to boil before competitions to make my weight class. And 
So to boil, she'd stick us in like steaming hot bath, you know, because we're there at the hotel. So she'd fill the bathtub up and try to get it as steamy as she could. And you would just sit in the hottest water ever, you know, submerge basically down to where just your mouth and your nose are out of the water. And she had it down to a science. To this day, I still can't figure out how she did it, but she had, you know, quote unquote, boiled enough people that she knew, like we already knew how much we would burn overnight sleeping, right? But what she had down to a science is how much more did you have to lose and how much time you had to spend in the water, right? I never could figure that out. But the higher you were over, that meant the longer you, you had to boil, obviously. And so once she would say, okay, your time is done, it's time to get out. Then you'd get out and you usually had one or two other you know, teammates in the, in the hotel room. And then they would wrap you up with all the sheets and blanket and comforter and basically wrap you up like a giant burrito. And the only thing exposed were like, you know, literally your, you know, your eyes, your nose and your mouth. And that was it. And then you would just lay there and sweat it out. And you would do this, you know, right before weigh-in because the, the key was to drop the weight as quick as you could, as close as you could to weigh-in, make weight, and then go, you know, go hydrate, go eat, do whatever. And um, so that was always a, a, I always hated doing that, but <laughs> she, it always worked. And I always, I never missed a weight, uh, a weigh-in session ever. So that's something a little bit unique that I don't know if many people do. Yeah, what a cool story. I'm glad to hear that. And I think maybe after this Thanksgiving Thursday, after I'm done eating on Friday, I'll do some boiling. There you go. <laughs> Thanks for the inspiration. Okay, so you were training with Angel a little bit. You're trained with Ursula. Tell us about your experience training for a spot on the Olympic team as a weightlifter? Well, I will never forget receiving the invitation. This was back when, you know, snail mail. So the invitation came in the mail and I had, it caught me off guard. I had no idea. And when I opened it, um, it was an invitation to compete at the 2004 Olympic team trials. And they had invited, I believe the top 30 lifters in the country, the top 30 men and the top 30 women. And at that time I was ranked 20th going in. Um, so, I mean, that was what I'd strive for, right? That was, I had set a childhood goal that I wanted to go to the Olympics. And I mean, I didn't, but uh, that's as close as I got, you know, and receiving that invitation was, um, a feeling that I'll never forget. It made all of those hours put in, you know, going to coach and then going to train, all the sacrifices. I made so many sacrifices in my life. It made every bit of that worth it. Um, and then to go compete for an actual spot. Now, mind you, the US, you know, obviously we've got so much depth here that there were only three spots available for 30 people vying for those spots. And then they took, you know, a fourth as an alternate lifter. And the way that they had divided this up is they did this in groups of 10. So the bottom, you know, 30, 29 through 30 
lifted first. And then I was in the second tier that lifted. And then the first tier, the top 10 lifted. And one of my teammates, uh, Jody Wilhite Vaughn, Chad Vaughn's wife, she was in the top 10. I think she might've been six. I don't remember exactly where she was placed, but she was top 10. And I will never forget after I was done, then I went and as, you know, my role of a teammate is I went and I helped Jody warm up. So Ursula's back there coaching her through warm up. So I was loading, you know, that kind of thing. You're familiar with kind of the weightlifting world. And I'll never forget just kind of standing around and watching at that time in 2004, the top 10 women in the United States competing for those three spots to represent Team USA. And that's when I realized, okay, I'm, I'm good at weightlifting, but these people are great. I mean, they, they were next level and it was very apparent. Just, I will never forget the speed, you know, that they were moving that weight out and the, the precision on the technique, you know? And, it, and honestly, it was a, like a moment of honor that I was even privy to get to be back there you know, seeing some of the most talented people in the world, you know, um, warming up and, and fighting for a spot. And so at that point, you know, I knew I'm like, there is no way I'm making the Olympic team. These people are just next level, you know, but I, I was okay with that. You know, I was okay with, I got the invitation, everything was totally worth it. And, and to get to see you know, what I was able to witness and, and be privy to. It was all quite an honor. Thank you for sharing that. That's really cool. And and taking us through what the emotions were like of that, that time. That's very awesome. All right. So obviously you spent a lot of time in Austin, Texas. The city has changed a ton. And something I'm curious to know about is how the culture of fitness in the city has changed over the years. You had experience in the hospital setting, like we talked about at a major public university. And then you also had some time in the private sector with Power to Perform. So what's it been like to see Austin and the culture of health and fitness grow over the years? Well, the one thing that I really appreciate about Austin and the developers and city planners is they you know, looked at the vision and future is they've really done a nice job laying out the city to uh, be conducive to people being more active. You know, there are bike lanes everywhere you go. We've got major hike and bike trails throughout the city. So we've got the, the lakes and the rivers uh, with all the development of businesses along there that allow you to do outdoor activities. So they've done a really nice job in making it a, a very fitness friendly city, if you will, um, from that aspect. It used to not be like that. Um, so that's been really nice. I think um, also because Austin is known as, you know, a big fitness city, that has naturally attracted more people here to open businesses. Um, I think obviously CrossFit was was huge here in the boom and, and all the box gyms that went up. But I really think it goes back to the, the vision that the city had, you know, and laying that out and, and Austin being able to become known as you know a fit city is because they have made it so accessible and easy for people um, to get fitness whether you want to ride your bike to work if you want to walk to work um, 
again, with all the developments along the river, with all the outdoor water activities that you can do now, it, they've made it extremely easy uh, for people to do that. So it, it is a different city in many, many aspects. And fitness is just one of those many. So earlier you talked a little bit about what it was like being involved with the U.S. Olympic weightlifting team. And now I'm excited to ask you a little bit about your experience as a deputy director of high performance for China. What was that like working with international Olympic athletes now on the coaching side and not just only Olympic athletes, but notoriously some of the best weightlifting athletes in the world? So during my time with China, my three teams that I had responsibility over were rowing, canoe, and kayak. And so when I went in as deputy director, I did not go in as a coaching role, although I did eventually do some coaching. But I went in and honest, quite honestly, wore multiple hats. Um, it was much more of a step in the side of the business world than it was the coaching side. And I did everything from recruiting strength and conditioning coaches and some physiotherapists from North America to, um, you know, obviously doing all the interviewing and onboarding and hiring. I felt quite honestly like director of HR for the North America branch, you know, bringing those folks on board. Um, I also did some design for them. They were trying to lay out a new weight room. They were very fascinated with how the collegiate system model is set up and, you know, in the U.S., many of our, you know, mostly our Division I sports, but those weight rooms are hands down some of the top facilities in the world. And so they were clearly fascinated with that. And so a big part of my job initially when I was there was helping them build out and lay out the design for Athletic Performance Training Center, very similar to what you would see in the collegiate setting, where everything is under one roof. That was a very foreign concept to them, you know, building your, your weight room and then having your sports science lab and having your sports medicine and having your nutrition, you know, having, they don't, they're not really into the sports psychology side of it, but, you know, having all the other entities that for us are just commonplace in college athletics um, was, was new, was a new concept to have like all of that housed under one space together. And then to have a weight room that looks and feels like a college weight room that was that was new for them so you know i did some floor plan design was one of the hats that i wore um we had some annual training camps abroad and so i acted as like their basically what felt like director of ops i mean i went out and secured all of the housing transportation meals and then set up the training schedules for everything. So I was, I kind of felt like the firefighter. If while we were at these training camps, if anything went wrong, I was the one that they called and I had to fix it and figure it out. That was probably the most demanding job I've ever had because I had 250, you know, foreign staff included, you know, China, some of China's best athletes along with their coaches. And then we have, you know, obviously foreign staff from all over the world working together and making sure that we pulled off these training camps seamlessly. And most of the camps were like six to eight weeks long, you know. Um, so while I was doing all of that, I was asked to coach their um, women's four rowing 
um, skull team. And, you know, it was something I'm, I thought, you know, are you serious? You want me to coach on top of everything else I'm doing? But it was a really, dip, it was difficult to say no, because they had not ever allowed another foreign coach to work with that team. And I, I to this day, I have no idea why they asked me to do it. Um, but it was really difficult to say no, because the the head coach of that team was also the wife of my supervisor. So it was, uh, I'm like, well, okay, I'm, I'm doing this. This is, this is happening. And so I actually had an assistant, another American coach helping me with that team. And then I had several Chinese staff that would act mostly, well, they were strength coaches, but they'd also help act as translators. And so there was a particular training camp where I ran that entire eight week cycle training for them. So I did put on the coaching hat at that time and worked with that team. And it was amazing. I, I learned quickly that, you know, the Chinese athlete, my experience with the Chinese athletes, at least in the rowing world, it's all I can speak to, um, are built very differently than the American athlete. They can handle far more volume of training um, at, you know, at the intensities that I was writing the programs for, like initially I wrote out the plan and I sat down and went over it with the, the head coach and, you know, she loved the, the plan for the intensity of it. And, and obviously the exercises, you know, I mean, a lot of that stuff's pretty standard that, you know, exercise selection, I don't think is rocket science, honestly, but when it came to the volume, she's like, no, we need, we need far more. And I thought, holy cow, I'm, I'm going to crush these athletes at the intensity that we're at because we were in a we were in a, a strength building block. It was their off season. They this whole camp was about getting as strong as you could get. That's all they wanted to do was just build that foundation of strength. Um, and I just remember thinking, I am going to hurt somebody. And it almost I really did feel like it was a bit unethical. Um, so it was it was a struggle, and I was constantly engaged with the Chinese strength coaches and getting feedback engaged with, um, I'd hired a whole sports medicine team that was working those. And we had a, um, an American athletic trainer that was working. I was constantly engaged with her constantly engaged with the sport coach. I mean, like I felt like 24 seven, I needed to know how those athletes were feeling at all times, you know, cause the last thing I wanted to do was to injure one of their top athletes. Right. And you know, thank goodness it worked. And those athletes got incredibly strong during that time. And I think some of it is they had just, I think probably some of the, you know, I introduced some Olympic movements to them that they had not done before. And I fixed their technique on some things that, you know, now they could actually really, you know, have some true power development instead of just muscling things. Um, and I think the, the greatest honor was they asked me to stay on and train that team through the Olympics. But quite honestly, I knew what the training environment was like. And it is, people think college strength and conditioning is tough. That was next level. It was, I'm not kidding, 24 seven. It was nonstop. And with all the other responsibilities um, they had me doing, I graciously declined. Um, to stay on because I you know I'm really at my age I was trying to move away from coaching and get more into the business management side of it um, 
But fast forward to the Olympics and that team that I worked with not only won a gold medal, they set a world record. So it does not have anything to do with my little eight week training, for, you know, for, for one second. I, I know that, but it feels good to have been a part, you know, of something that did go on and have great success. So that was that was a pretty cool experience. Um, but yeah, I mean, I just I wore so many hats um, that that was that was probably the greatest challenge was having to be so adaptable to whatever was thrown at me. And it's like, hey, we need you to do this. And I'm like, holy cow, I'm not I'm not 100 percent sure how to do that. But I always figured it out. I figured out a way. And I learned a lot about myself during my time in China that, you know, and I think that's a big part of where I'm really not fearful of anything at this point. I'm like, I can I can handle a lot. I've been through a lot and I'm resourceful enough and adaptable enough that I can figure out how to get through it successfully. What an amazing experience you just shared. I mean, that's that's really incredible. And and one that I think most strength conditioning coaches don't really have a full understanding of. So we really appreciate your insight on that and kind of the stresses that go into that. Uh, not just the gold medal, but it's a lot of behind the scenes things that are happening for years. So uh, I'm glad you had a great experience with that and learned a lot about yourself. That's really awesome and sounds great for your growth. And one of the things that happened after that for you then was transitioning into your role at the CSCCA, mm -hmm. correct? Yes. So now you've been serving there as the chief science officer for just about two years. Is that right? Coming up on two years. Yeah. Coming up on two years. Can you tell us a little bit about your role with the CSCCA? Yeah. So my primary responsibilities are overseeing the accreditation of the SCCC certification. Um, so that in and of itself, that's a really big umbrella that is um, an extremely important role and making sure that, you know, every five years, the certification goes through accreditation. And so there are so many things that go into making sure you are checking the boxes, you know, dotting the I's, crossing the T's. Um, you can think of it like, you know, if we were basically, here's a good analogy. So every year, say the IRS, you know, you have to turn in your taxes, right? And your, your taxes are reviewed. And every five years, you're audited. So that's essentially what happens is every five years, the organization goes through a deep, deep audit. And so I'm the one that has to make sure that we've done everything we're supposed to and documented and submitted all the required information to pass the audit, essentially. Um, so that's a big part of my role. Another part is overseeing the actual examination itself, the SCCC exam, um, all the way down to the continuing education development and opportunities, um, even down to our mentorships, you know, so kind of everything under that umbrella as well. And that's where I've been spending most of my time in and setting up and looking at first, it's taken me a while to just, you know, kind of get in and, and learn the business, right? And just try to understand the role and what I'm supposed to do. And then the next part was looking for ways to improve. You know, it's like, okay, this is how we've always done it, but can we do it better? And so that's a lot of what I spent over this summer was, for example, so we went through our CEU cycle. So every three years, 
you know, your CEUs, um, every certificate holder has to have 45 CEUs. And I learned, that was my first ever CEU cycle, right, to go through with the organization. And I learned a lot about that process and ways to improve that process. And mostly ways to make it easier on the end user for the certificate holders. And so one of the things that we did over the summer is we worked here in the national office and we worked with our education board and we put together a CEU handbook. You know, the organization did not have a CEU handbook. You could go and find the information on our website, but honestly, it was a little clunky and it wasn't all streamlined together. And so we spent time this summer putting together that handbook for our certificate holders so that now come the next CEU cycle, everything you need is in, is in one spot, you know? So, and that is something now new um, certificate holders will get when they receive their certification is they'll also receive that CEU handbook. So it sounds like something simple, but it was, you know, quite the process it took us to really revamp and improve and streamline that process. So that's just one of the, the many um, initiatives that, that we've been working on. That one was probably the most time consuming over the summer, but I really feel good about the product that we've delivered to the membership. So what's it like going to CSCCA conference now and not only seeing friends, but young ambitious coaches walking around? Could the first day at the University of Texas, seeing Dr. Sanders, coach Sandy Abney ever imagine that this is where she would be, and this is where the strength conditioning field would be today. No way. I know I could not have imagined in a million years. No, it's um, it, it's a really amazing. Um, I look at it as I have a really amazing opportunity, you know, and I am trying to take advantage of every moment of that to have a positive impact um, on the profession and try to keep myself in that mindset of you know, what can we do to help that young developing coach? You know, so it, I do look at the conference much, much differently um, than years past, right? Because we're always looking for ways to improve that and, and have more engagement uh, from the membership. I'm really excited about this year's national conference coming up. We're doing, uh, we have far more speaker selections um, we did our first ever speaker call from the membership. We had over 60 applications of people um, trying to get in for speaker spots. So we were really excited about the level of engagement um, from our members. Um, but we've got a lot of different types and styles of presentations that you'll see at this year's conference as well. Um, so we're excited about that. But yeah, to think back to first day is strength and conditioning coach at the University of Texas to where I am now, um, I never would have thought in a million years. But, um, but my goal now is to try to leave the profession in a better place than I found it. You know, no young girl should have to ever run through a boy's locker room to, to access a weight room just to get a lift in ever again. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I appreciate all the hard work that you're doing and the team is doing over there with the CSCCA. I remember doing my tests in Orlando. I remember it like it was yesterday. I remember being in Kansas city, uh, looking around at the coaches who had to go test. And then most recently, I remember, uh, working the booth now for Kaiser in Oklahoma city and seeing you, of course. 
<laughs> you've come full circle yeah. too. Yeah. 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 And uh, we appreciate the CSCCA and their ability to always put together a great conference each year. And it's something that all the strength conditioning coaches look forward to. And I'm excited to hear that there are some new things that are going to be happening at the conference, something fresh and fun. So uh, definitely looking forward to that. I got uh, two quick questions for you uh, just to finish off here. All right. Uh, favorite taco spot in Austin? Torchies, of course. Torchies tacos. <laughs> What's the order there? Oh, the, uh, the trailer park taco. <laughs> trailer park trashy, always. Yeah. Right answer. <laughs> correct. Your opinion is correct. And all right. What does your current training look like right now? Oh my God. It's embarrassing. (laughs) I am, uh, I am lucky to get a walk-in these days, staying pretty busy, but I do. um, My new year's goal is to start riding my bike to work. I did that a lot at UT and that was a great way to, to slide in some exercise um, because, you know, schedule doesn't always permit to carve out time. I'm not as disciplined to carve out time. So start riding my bike to work again. That'll be That'll be a a goal for 2023. (laughs) Awesome. Amazing. Well, I really appreciate your time today and everything that you shared with us. There's some great little nuggets in there and I loved hearing, you know, from beginning into where it is now and and seeing those things come full circle and and your commitment to also, you know, not just yourself over the years and, and the athletes you've worked with, but now leaving the actual field of strength conditioning better than you found it it's really great to hear and i know everybody's appreciative of that so thank you so much i really enjoyed uh spending this morning with you and again just thank you well thank you and, and thank kaiser i appreciate the opportunity thank you so much we appreciate you tuning in to this episode of the kaiser human performance podcast to stay up to date on all things kaiser follow us at kaiser fitness on twitter instagram and facebook For more content, you can visit our Kaiser Fitness YouTube page and at our website, www.kaiser.com. Thank you and have a great day.